Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. But it does talk about coming apart for a while and taking a season. And when you're there, shut off your phone, shut off your computer. I urge you to have your Bible, though. And get there. And with the stillness, park again on the Lord. You stay there and you allow God to speak to your heart. Love Him. Adore Him. Worship Him. That's the beginning of intimacy. But it moves to the third area because there is something that we should do. It's the word surrender. There is a surrender. Some people would call it submit to Him. I think that is important because in a few moments you're going to see... We have to recognize, in order for me to be intimate with this Lord, who we know is out there permitting or prescribing things to happen, that I have to submit to His Lordship. I'm speaking about believers. He says this, or Scripture says this, And when Martha had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard that, now that's the key. She got up too, just like Martha did, but she didn't get up until Jesus called her. And I'm going to give you one thought. You're going to find, as you read the story of Mary alone, that every time you find Mary, somewhere along in that story, she is at the feet of Jesus. Now, that could be her hard wiring. It could be whatever happened that's not even in Scripture. But I do say this, whatever it is, at the base of that, there was a degree of intimacy with God because it always was. I love the Lord. I'll do what he tells me to do. I'll be where he wants me to be, and I'll be the kind of person he wants me to be. Let's go a little bit further. So the story goes on, and it says this. She arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with him in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her and they said, oh, she's going to the tomb to weep there. In other words, we've already done our comforting. Now she wants to go to the tomb and continue her grieving process where Lazarus is. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, and not mark this in your Bible, she fell down at his feet. Now notice, nothing changed with Lazarus. She was still in a state of mourning. Their life and world was rocked because Lazarus had died. And yet she still fell down at his feet. To me, it's a sign of worship, but it's a sign of surrender and submission, believing that, God, you have the right to do and be anything you want. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now some people might say, well, she's really attacking him. No, she's really not. She's really attributing to God, to Christ, God, that you are in control and had you been here, you could have and would have changed all of this. And I really love you. Maybe I could pose it this way. Some people, when they get into a jam, it's why me, Lord, and why this, and why now? And some of you maybe not do it outwardly, but in your heart you're saying, why me? Someone else is worse than I am, but I had this raw deal done. Others will say, why this? If you want to do something to me, why did it have to be this bad? Or why now? Okay, if you want to do this to me, Lord, but why did you do it right now? I'm on my way to somewhere. I've got to get this done. I don't have the time or the money to do this. Why now in my life? That's not the right way to ask that question. That's coming out of a heart of lack of intimacy, certainly a lack of belief and acceptance of his sovereignty and his ultimate purpose for good in his own glory. You can ask the question this way. Why me, Lord? I I tell you, Lord, I I want to know because... There's something you want me to do or to be or to learn through all of this. So, Lord, why is it me? 
You could have given it to anybody, but there's something special that you've done for me. Why this, Lord? In other words, this whole event that's happened to me, what is in this event that I could learn? How do you want me to respond to this event? When do you want me to respond to this event? What could I do in this event? Why this event here? It's so important, it's so unusual, so special to me at this point in my life that I want to bring glory to you. And then, why now? Lord, why is it now? Hmm. You could have given me earlier, you did it later, but this is now in my life, so that must mean that there's a sovereign good. And I add one more thought? You may never get the answer to that question. But that's where worship and intimacy is. Believing that God is in control and he has the right to do it. So we see it through silence, stillness, and surrender. If you don't mind, let's talk about now what hinders it. How intimacy is hindered. And Martha would be a good illustration of it by her actions at least and perhaps by some of her comments. So some of you that are saying, I've heard messages like this before, but something is going on in my life and I cannot be intimate with the Lord. Now let me pause for a moment. I'm going to give a qualification. Some of you are trying to define intimacy with the Lord based on an emotional feeling that you might have. Because at certain times in your life when something was going on and you felt an especial closeness, maybe there was a euphoric high or a certain degree of peace, or there was something that went on. And so you're holding on to an emotional bit to determine if you're intimate with the Lord or not. I'm going to shock you right now. But you could be in the middle of traffic, and your phone is going off, and things are happening, and you can be just as intimate as you would be on a desolate beach, watching a beautiful sunrise, listening to praise music and hymns, reading a scripture verse, thinking about God. So it's not necessarily born about a feeling. But it is an understanding there that there's a closeness with God. And I would have to tell you it could be somewhat subjective based on your personality, but it'll always be objective based upon whether you know that you're sinning. And if you know that there's sin in your life and you've regarded it in your heart, then I want you to know that sin will block us from being intimate with the Lord. Well, let me look at three areas here in Martha's life. First would be disappointment. That when you look at the Lord and you were let down, God let you down through a certain circumstance and you are disappointed Maybe in the circumstance or maybe in God or whatever, but when disappointment hits, that can hinder your intimacy. It says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Kind of a demanding statement there. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you, implying, will you now raise him right this moment from the dead? So there's a statement in there. Let me talk a little bit about disappointment. I'm disappointed that you came later. I'm disappointed that this had to happen. I'm disappointed with this event. Some of you that are not married will not understand what I'm about to tell you, but if you'll listen, I want to prepare you for what can happen. When you become married and you become intimate, we do know that what I'm talking about, the actual physical union and all that goes on, that's a, that is a part of it. I don't want to take that out of the equation. It's not the center of it all, but it is part of it. There is an intimacy that you have in a marriage. When intimacy begins to fail... Or let me just say this way. When intimacy begins to, um, to cease, the potential for the marriage and the commitment to fail becomes stronger. Most marriages begin to separate and eventually couples divide. And you might say it was an affair, it was this, it was that, it was I fell out of love, whatever. It's going to come somewhere along the line when there was a lack of intimacy. Those who struggle with it doesn't mean you can't win the battle, but those who struggle with it will be those who are forced to be separated from the ingredients that can make intimacy happen. 
I'm thinking about our military personnel. I'm thinking about those who are employed that are sent on business trips for long periods of time, frequently throughout the year. And might I even say that sometimes it could happen when you've got a good marriage, but then a mate has to go to another place to take care of another loved one who is suffering through affliction or an aged parent, and somehow their normal routine for the potential and the practice of intimacy is disrupted. We can go on and on. So that being the case, then you still need to work on that intimacy because those are coming against you. But God knew that that was the case. And when that's the case, he gives you the, the, the guidelines to make that happen. Now, we can see that in the regular world, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you that are married can say that you've gone through times when you were more intimate with your mate and when you weren't. And you'll find that the less intimate you are with your mate, and again, I'm not talking purely sexual, that's when the little things begin to irritate you and become larger things in your life. That's when communication breaks down. That's when trust breaks down. That means that certain things that you're on the same page are not on the same page, maybe not in the same chapter, and you're soon to get out of the same book. Begins to happen. If that is something that has occurred occasionally in your life, can you at least just kind of go with your eyes up and down? Okay, don't, don't, don't break your eyelids here. But that's happened. Now, that's to tell you, for a moment, experience that aloneness, that separation, that lostness, that emptiness, that uh, you might feel wandering a little bit, a little unsettledness. Here we would say in Hawaii, you lost your sense of place in that relationship. Well, that happens with the Lord. When the people you're married to, they disappoint you. They, sell the, they say they'll do something, they don't do it. You relied upon them, they didn't keep their word. Maybe they forgot, or they chose not to, or they rebelled, whatever. Disappointment sets in. We can transfer that to the Lord, and that happened the moment we got our eyes off of His sovereignty, that God loves me, He is in total control, He has the right to be in control, and now we put Him into a box of doing what we want Him to do. He's got to fulfill our expectations instead of saying, Lord, whatever you want, it's okay. Disappointment will disrupt intimacy. Here's the second will be disbelief. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The Jews knew that already. She had good teaching, and I believe Jesus spent a lot of time in their house already when he was going through there at a previous time. So she knew that. Jesus said to her, though, and here's the key, follow, follow. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, you knew good theology, but you didn't know me. We talk about resurrection, but I am the resurrection. I am the life. It's not just that later on you're going to come up out of the grave. I am the resurrection. I am the center of your life. He who believes in me, though he may die physically, he shall still live because I am the center of the life. I am the one who is the life giver. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Yes, your body will die, but not you if you believe in me. And then he asks this question to shake her world from her disbelief. And, she says, and he says, do you believe this. Now, if you will, look up here. Now, we gave, do you believe this about the resurrection later on? She already did that. The question was, do you believe I am the resurrection and the life, that I am the great I am? So let me just flip it this way simply, and we'll move on. It goes back to my, my foundational introduction, which was, you can have good theology but if you don't know the God of the theology, then you won't have that intimacy with him that you could have. You can't have it without good theology. But at the same time, if all you have is theology, and you don't know the person of the theology, 
you won't know it. Now, watch this. I believe that God, one of the reasons that God wrote all of this down, inerrant, infallible, God's inspired word about all these teachings is to bring glory to him through an accurate understanding of who he is so that I can become intimate with this God because my God is a relational God. All the other gods are not relational because they're not of God. They're designed by Satan to draw us away from intimacy to really know the real God. Now, this is so heavy. I don't know if you can swallow this. You might have to get this tape. But I want you to know how precious the privilege that God graces us with to allow us as mortal fallen people to be intimate with the only God and the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, for all time. Can you imagine that? And we're not even God? Why don't we want to be intimate when He provides the way and He wants it? So believe it and be satisfied. All right, the third is this, disagreement. We move to disappointment, then we start disbelieving, and then we end up with disagreement. Then Jesus, again groaning in Himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. It's kind of a different kind of cemetery than we have today. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, obviously, for four days. And they didn't embalm him, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What is he doing? He is repeating a statement he already said to her because she's agreeing to something he's disagreeing with something he already said. So what will happen in your intimacy that will cause a hindrance? Look up here again. When you want to park yourself and argue with God after he's already said something and try to bargain with him and try to put God into your theological box, after a while, it might for a while satisfy you because our heart is deceitful above all things, definitely wicked. We can create this event, but it will not sustain us in the intimacy with the Lord. And eventually our world is going to be rocked by all of this and we're going to feel empty, useless, and separated from the closest we could have with the Lord. So don't argue with the Lord. Give him your calendar. Give him your keys. Here's a tough one. Give him your relationships. Give him your career. Give him your health. And say, Lord, I'm going to respond in a biblical way. I'm going to do what you tell me to do in Scripture. We're going to end on that point in a moment. But right now, Lord, I have to remember you are the God of my world. I believe in you and I will not disagree with you. I will not disbelieve you and you can't disappoint me any longer God because you can do whatever you want because you've already proved your love to me and that while I was yet sinner you died for me on the cross through Christ all right number three what will intimacy give me well if you look at Lazarus he's our example first is life when you have intimacy with the Lord then you are really living there's a life thing going on there and then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had heard these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. A lot of people say that if he didn't say Lazarus, everybody else might have come from the graves. I don't know if that's really true or not. I, I think he can be healed one person. Maybe others will all heal at the same time. I don't know. But I do know this. Specifically, he said, Lazarus, come forth. I'm reminded of what Paul said about life. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So if you want to have that real life within you, that life of joy and peace, then I encourage you 
to develop that intimacy with the Lord because a byproduct of that is he can take the deadness that you're experiencing right now emotionally, socially, maybe even a little spiritually, and I don't mean that totally lost spiritually, but that sense of separation from the Lord. If you are sensing that your life is empty, fruitless, going nowhere, in other words, you could say, I just feel like I'm dead inside. There is no reason for a Christian to feel that way when he says, I am now dead, but I am alive in Christ. That's that exchange life. Number two, we have liberty. Notice what happened when he came out of the grave. It says, And he who died came out, Lazarus, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, burial clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. So he's kind of like coming out almost like a mummy, if you can kind of picture that. I have a lot of questions about that whole event, really. I'd like to find out, did he ever get... Did he ever start decomposing and the Lord had to kind of undecompose him? You know, what did he look like? Was his hair messed up? You know, did he, what, did he have any, did he smell musty being in there? Yeah, I have all these, my mind does these stupid things. But the point is, when he got out, the grave clothes were released off of him. Now, here's what I'm saying. Is it quite possible that some of you are wrestling with bondage in your life? There is something that you know that is wrong, that you know that is wicked and evil, and that... And maybe some others that are very close to you know what that is. It could be an outward sin. It could be an, a chemical sin. It could be an attitudinal sin. It could be lying, cheating, bitterness, greed, moral impurity. I don't know what it is, but you're, you, you fought it, you've tried, but it's just there all the time. It could be because you're trying to resolve those issues in the flesh instead of saying, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to let Christ live that life of perfection and power out through me. And I'm going to let him break those shackles of those things that are in my life. And I'm going to live a life of freedom, victory, and liberty. And where does it come from? An intimacy with the Lord. And here's the final one. It's called love. This goes into the next chapter, but it's only the first two verses. I thought this was interesting because what's one of the the things that uh, intimacy provides? There's a love thing going on here. It says, then, besides Jesus saying he loved them all these other times, he says this, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. Isn't that interesting? They were there, which probably means Lazarus and Mary was, of course, there, and Martha, but who was doing the work? Still Martha. He didn't rebuke Martha for serving, by the way, either, but it does show she served. It's quite possible that she demonstrated her intimacy through service, but let's go on. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. None of the others did, but it was Lazarus who sat there with him. The the scripture says, draw near to the Lord. Satan will flee from you. And so maybe if you would right now, this very moment in here, I'm going to give you a second or two to just quiet your heart down and let the Lord begin to take over. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You don't keep his commandments to love the Lord. You love the Lord and out of loving him, then you'll be able to keep his commandments. Let's pray, shall we? Whether or not you bow your heads or close your eyes, I want to give you some time of being alone with the Lord. For some of you, you need to know that no matter what you try to do, you can't be intimate with the Lord because he is not your father. So you don't have a relationship with him other than he is a creator and your creator, I should say. And he is the God, but he's not your personal redeemer. He's not the one who saved you. 
So maybe right now for you, you've got to come to him and say, Lord, I am separated from you, but I want to be in your forever family. And no good deed I do myself will get there. And I'm separated from you already, so there's no real hope of intimacy. Any intimacy that I might have with you is self-manufactured through my own self-righteousness. And Lord, you already say in Scripture that it's a filthy rag. So Lord, I'm not coming to you with my good works. I'm coming to you as a broken person. I'm coming to you believing that you did die. You are the resurrection and the life. I'm coming to you by my faith alone in you that would forgive me of all my sins so I could have everlasting life. I'm coming to you because you want me to have intimacy with you. You want me to know you. And my first way to do that is by placing my faith alone in you. And right now, Lord, I'm coming to you. And I want to say thank you for dying on the cross and rising again. And I'm accepting you as my Savior. And so, Lord, I've now walked through the door of the first step toward intimacy with you. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I come to you alone. In my heart of hearts, totally relying upon you. Nothing I do myself. Now, I'd like to pray for you. So now with heads bowed and eyes closed so no one can see anyone raise their hand if there are those of you in here today that are saying, you know, I I need that intimacy with the Lord. So right now I'm going to trust him as my savior. And so, Lord, pastor, I'm doing that in my heart. I'm saying now to the Lord, Lord, I believe you are the Lord who died and rose again. I have that in my head. But now, Lord, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to place my faith in you. I am relying totally upon you. I am trusting in you as the Lord who died and rose again. I'm counting on you to keep your word and you're a God who cannot lie. So I'm accepting you at your word. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for giving to me eternal. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for giving me a home in heaven and the privilege of being intimate with you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone in here today that would indicate by an uplifted hand that you're trusting Christ as your Savior? I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer, but I want to know if there's anyone here today that's trusting Christ, never done it before. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone? Thank you. Christians, for a moment, I, I want to be quiet, give you a few seconds, few moments here. I'm really passionate about this intimacy with the Lord. How can anyone do it in one message to talk about intimacy with the only God the great God, the glorious God. But there's enough there in it that can help you. You need Him in your life. People will come and go by virtue of life. Life happens. But He will never leave you. He will never come and go. And the closeness that you have with Him, the full experiencing of His power and His Word will come when you come up close to Him. And so if you know that you're holding on to something of the world, is that really worth it? It grieves the Lord and it hinders your intimacy and begins to skew your thinking that actually can exacerbate the rest of your life. It's not worth it. So what is it that you know that God has told you through his word that you need to discard? Is there something you know you should be doing and you keep fighting it? Right now you just need to go to him for the power. You're resisting The Spirit's prompting you to go do something. And that's hindering you. You know you should. You're scared to do that. Then you allow the Lord to hold on to you right now. And by faith, you walk with Him into that trial. You walk with Him into that situation on the job or at school or at home or in your neighborhood. 
And you know that you're not going to be alone. You love on him right now. And those of you who want to know more about intimacy, just open your Bible, confess your sin, get alone with him, and then allow the Spirit of God to teach you his word. Father, we come before you now, and we do love you with all of our hearts, and we know we have a propensity to sin. We know that we have our mind and ourself in the world, and we, we, we confess that to you. And we want to submit one more time to you, allow you to be our God. And so, Lord, help us now to see you do things. And you may never raise the Lazaruses in our life, but, Father, whatever we go through, we know that we can go through it with victory. And so, Father, thank you for loving us just the way we are. But also, Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you won't leave us there so we can continue to grow. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,